Today we're about to open the sacred text. We're at a... It's interesting that the... Um, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer is actually not the Lord's Prayer. If I were to ask anyone in this room, please recite the Lord's Prayer, you would know, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's actually misnamed. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer because that, in fact, was the model that Jesus gave to his disciples in terms of how to pray. But that's not actually a prayer that he prayed. The prayer that he did pray is found in John chapter 17. Now, we know that Jesus prayed throughout his ministry. We know that he prayed early in the morning, late at night. All throughout the day, he was continually in communion with the Father in a way that I don't think any of us can truly comprehend. But thank God for the Gospel of John, that John took the time to take this sacred moment, this prayer at maybe the most pivotal time in history, to, to record this prayer for us. Because what would the Son of God pray? I mean, you might even ask yourself, does the Son of God need to pray? Didn't he know all things and wasn't he communing with the Father constantly anyway? Did Jesus need to pray? For whose benefit was this prayer? There's all these thoughts that come to my my mind and as I was studying this text uh, over the last several weeks, I was just thinking... What do you pray when the hour has come? The hour when everything is at stake. Now, I'm sure every one of us in this room, either either you're going through a difficult time or hang on because a difficult time is about to come. That's just the reality of life. But here Jesus was, a little bit of background. It started with John chapter 13 and it it is a fulfillment of John 13, 1 where it says that Jesus loved his own till the very end. He had loved them from the time that from they were probably in their mother's womb to the time that this, this incredible moment when he was about to go to the cross. It started with the Last Supper, their final meal together. He knew this was their final meal together. The disciples really didn't have a clue. They, didn't, they heard the words, but have you ever heard words and not really understood what they meant? John chapter 14, Jesus gives them hope. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. That's encouraging. John chapter 15, he talks about the vine and the branches, and he reminds them, guys, you can do nothing apart from me. Don't get reliant on your talents and abilities. Remember, if you're not connected to me, the true vine, all you can't, you can't do anything of any value. And then comes a bunch of sobering truths which much of, must have been like 
punches into the gut of the disciples where Jesus says with, with just kind of matter-of-factly, guys, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be put on trial, all of you are going to abandon me, including Peter, you're going to deny me three times, uh, do you, someone is going to betray me and I'm going to be falsely accused, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be mocked, mocked and crucified. Okay. You think they had any idea what was really coming? This is is like the word of God. It it seems so understated. But the impact was going to be incredible. So like I said, what was at stake? Everything was at stake. There was no singular event in the history of this earth that was more important than what was just about to happen. So, John gives us a glimpse into the Holy of Holies where the Son of God is communing with the Father in the most critical of times. There's one truth that it is so much easier to pray when we're under duress. Isn't that true? I don't know, sometimes when we're happy we get kind of goofy and we forget. And we, as we start thinking maybe we're pretty good and we've got this thing figured out. But when trials come, we pray. So what, what would the son say to the father? Now you might imagine that this would be incredibly deep and complex. Like we're not going to be able to understand it. But I want you to listen to the words of James Montgomery Boyce because he says something quite insightful. He says, This prayer contains the simplest of sentences, though the ideas are profound. It is proof that the difficulty we have in understanding God's truth is not in the complexity of the truth itself or in the language with which it is conveyed, but in our own ignorance and our sin and spiritual lethargy. You just heard Pastor Varney read the entire words of the prayer. I timed it, reading it slowly. It takes about three minutes and 30 seconds to say the prayer. I've been studying this this prayer in depth for, I spent probably 10 hours thinking about this prayer yesterday, and I'm still wondering about the implications of what this prayer means and the depths of it. It really is a simple prayer. Jesus prays for three things. And it's very obvious. Let's just take a quick look. In uh, John chapter 17, 1 through 5, Jesus prays for God's glory. In uh, John chapter 17, 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples. And then the last seven verses, he prays for, who would he pray for? All believers. He did that in seven verses. He prayed for you and me today in seven verses. So sometimes we think that, it, that God will hear us based on the length of our prayer. And what did Jesus say? 
it's not about the length of your prayer. In fact, a lot of times, because we're, we're sinners, the longer we pray, the more we're bound to pray for something wrong. Right? We need to pray according to God's word. So let's look at John chapter 17, verse 1. I, I, I'm going to spend most of my time on the first part and the last part. I, there's just not enough time to go through everything. So I'm going to try to focus on the first part and the last part. When Jesus had spoken these words, now, these words were all this stuff that I told you about, but I'm just going to read the last section of uh, 1633. So Jesus had just told these disciples much more than they could possibly take. And then he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Amen? But take courage, I have overcome the world. Are you a believer? Are you a human being? In this life you will have tribulation. You will have things happen that you don't like, that are a struggle, that are difficult. That's just the way it is. So after Jesus has spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. What an understatement. The hour when the destiny of mankind and all of God's creation and all the angels of heaven are probably just they're just standing in awe, wondering what's going to happen. Satan thinks this is his, his hour of victory. Nobody understands what is about to happen or what's at stake. And he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now you might think how self-centered this prayer is. He's just praying for himself. Is that true? Yeah, in a way it's true. But I think you don't, we don't appreciate the importance of this prayer without understanding. In the Lord's Prayer it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus is praying consistent with God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Glorify your Son. Now, on first blush you think, Wow, that's very self-centered to say glorify your son, glorify me. You will not appreciate that statement until you think about how was Jesus going to glorify the Father. If you don't get that, then you don't understand this prayer. He was going to glorify the Father by submitting himself to the most unjust, unbelievable, painful experience. And we're not talking about the crucifixion. We're talking about embracing the entire wrath of God. There is no way any of us could comprehend. Father, glorify your, your son and glorify you by punishing me with all the fury that is deserved for all the sins of mankind. Does that prayer sound a little different to you now after thinking about it that way? 
it should make you stand in awe as you read this prayer. Would we say a prayer like that? Lord, punish me and punish my family and punish everything that's dear to me so that you could get glory. That is what our, our dear Savior is saying. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, he's talking about the Son, what is his mission? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus came to give life, eternal life, and the cost to him was going to be immeasurable. And this is eternal life. This is the gospel. You want to know what the good news is? It is that you would know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Without a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus, there's no, nobody can be saved. Verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work. Wait a minute. Did he accomplish the work yet? No, he still had this little detail of the cross. And yet Jesus is praying, having accomplished the work. What is, is he delusional? No, this is a prayer of faith. This is the, the prayer that says, I have won the victory before it has even happened. This is the prayer that pleases God when we say, Lord, the situation may look impossible, but I, have already, I already have the victory in you. Do we pray like that? No, we cry like little babies. Oh God, I'm dying, help me. If we were to read his word and claim his word, we'd say there is nothing that can stop me as long as God is with me. If God be for me, who can possibly be against me? Whatever trial we face, do we, do we have that type of faith to say, I have the victory. Even though I don't know how it's going to end, I have the victory. It's guaranteed in what my Savior has done. Incredible. There's so much more that we could talk about, but for the sake of time, I'm not... I will say you could spend a lot of time reflecting on the incredible uh, nature of his, of his prayer, just his prayer to the Father. This is an example of praying to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Who is he referring to? His 11 apostles. There's only enough time to just touch on the high points of this, but trust me, there's a lot more depth that I would encourage you to take the time to reflect on if you have time. The first thing Jesus it says, it's very interesting in verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I'm praying for the 11. I'm not praying for the world. Is that, that should strike you as a little bit funny. Didn't Jesus come to pray for the world 
or to save the world. And yet Jesus says in this critical moment, he says, I'm praying for my apostles. I am not praying for the world. You got to think. Jesus had his priorities right. Sometimes we try to do too much, don't we? Most of the time we try to do too much. Jesus knew that this ragmuffin group of 11 guys, they were entrusted with the keys to the kingdom. And from a worldly standpoint, you'd think, this is crazy. How can you leave the gospel to these 11 guys who are not educated, who are not gifted, who are scared to death, who look like they have no faith? Are you crazy? And Jesus says, no, I'm praying for them. Not praying for the world. There is a time to pray for the world, but right now Jesus is focused on what he needs to pray for, and that is the 11. Second point I want to highlight, he prays for their security and their unity. Verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Now, again, was Jesus in the world? Yep, he was still in the world. But in his mind, he knew what was going to happen. Why? Because he's God. And he's saying, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, that security which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You have to think about what Jesus didn't pray for. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he prays for their security and their unity. The third thing he prays for for them is in verse 13. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy filled in themselves. Talk about faith. This is faith. Because these guys are scared to death. They're about to lose their Savior, their Master, whom they gave everything to follow. And they were thinking, oh, you know, just one week earlier, they had been walking into Jerusalem and people were saying, Hosanna to God in the highest, here comes the King of Israel. And so the disciples are thinking, Yeah, we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. Boy, were they in for a surprise. They were about to go through the most painful experience that you can imagine. Losing your Savior. Was everything that Jesus taught a lie? I mean, this is what they were going to be challenged with. And what does Jesus pray for? That they would have their joy. Can you have joy in the midst of tribulation and struggles? Absolutely. Happiness may not be there, but joy, the joy that comes from our Savior, we can have and we can claim. The fourth thing that 
Jesus prayed for is in verse 15. I do not ask to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They had an enemy that was incredibly fierce and didn't fight fair. But Jesus prayed that they would have joy and that they would have protection in the world. You know, sometimes as a father, I do worry about my children. And I think, oh, I worry about them being in danger. And I want to make sure that they're in a safe place. But think of the position Jesus was in. He prayed to the Father. He knew that the Father would answer his prayer. And if the, if the Father is there to protect his own, even Satan can't come against that. And that we, we should find comfort in that. The fifth thing he prayed for was sanctification. Sancti- verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what are the five things that Jesus prayed for for his disciples? For security and unity. Actually, four things. For joy, protection from Satan, and sanctification. Now I want to talk about his prayer for us. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only. These only are the eleven. But I also pray for those who believe in me through their word. Who is he talking about? Us. He's talking about us. And everyone who believes their word. Where is their word? We have it, don't we? He has given us the word of the apostles. Should we not be excited to read God's word? So Jesus is praying for all of us who love him and love his words that were written through the apostles. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 21, that they also may be in us. So he's saying, Father, as you and I are one, I pray that they would be one. He's asking a big prayer, isn't he? Verse 22, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them. What's he talking about? He is talking about God's love that overflows into his action, which is the cross, that overflows into eternal life. This is the glory that someday you and I can be with him forever in heaven. That is the glory, worshiping him, the true God and creator of heaven and earth. And then he repeats it, that they may be one. Do you think this is important to him? When you see repetition in the Bible and you see a repetition in the prayer of Jesus, you know it's important. Even as we are one, he repeats it, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Wow. How are people going to know that Jesus is Savior? 
by incredible preaching, by miracles? No. People will know that Jesus is Savior and that he was sent from the Father by the unity that's exhibited by the brothers for one another. That's pretty significant, quite different from what you're hearing today from many pulpits, even in this country. Father, I desire, verse 24, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So what was Jesus' prayer for us? Two things he prayed for. One, he prayed twice that we would be one in unity. Twice, not once, but twice. And what's the other thing he prayed for? That we would be in heaven to see his glory. Isn't there more to pray about? Is that all? Is that sufficient? Shouldn't there be more? I mean, we're helpless. We need, this should be a thousand page list of things to pray for. And Jesus distills it down to two things. One, our feet, where our feet are on the ground right now, we need to love one another and be united in Him. And our head and our heart need to be thinking about heaven, being with Him someday forever in eternity. So, what is the nature of this unity? Because, you know, the world loves to talk about unity. People try to do all kinds of crazy things to be unified. Uh, I remember uh, in university, I joined a fraternity. And the way they tried to unify us was to make us do goofy things together. And uh, it can kind of work, but that's not the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about. You know what the, 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 the norm for, for humanity is? The norm, and and the Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians, uh, is the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. That's normal. If you don't believe me, just turn on the television. Reality TV is all about this, isn't it? Watching people destroy one another, cutting them down, even these chef shows, right? You got one hour, and then I'm going to criticize what you're going to do. This is the, this, and people love to watch it. Oh, this is so embarrassing, but I love to watch it. It's, that's, not, that's not what it's going to be based on. You know what the norm is? Divorce, betrayal, lawsuits, church split, selfishness. That's the fruit of the flesh. 
But what is the quality of the unity between the Son and the Father? And you can find all of these in John chapter 17 in the prayer. First, they're united in motive. What is their motive? John 17, the glory of God. They are united in mission. John 17, 2, redeeming the lost and granting them eternal life. Luke 9, 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That is the mission of the Father and the Son. There's no confusion about that. How else are they united? They are united in truth. John 17.17 Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 8.31 says, If you continue in the word... Then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Father and the Son are united in holiness. Jesus refers to the Father, verse 11, Holy Father. Verse 25, Righteous Father. We study in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, where day and night the heavenly hosts say, Holy, holy, holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. And guess what? We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. We can only do it by putting our trust in a Savior who loves us more than we can comprehend. The Father and Son are united in love. John 17:24. Because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know the golden rule? Do unto others before they do unto you. No. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus said, that's not good enough. Do unto others as I would do unto them. Wow. So what's the challenge to our church, to all churches, to the body of Christ? What is our motive What's our motive for going to church? Wow, you're cutting to the heart. (laughs) Ouch. What is your motive for coming to church? Is it for God's glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What are illegitimate motives for going to church? Uh, One is consumerism. What am I going to get out of church today? You know, uh, I confess, before we started GBF, I did what most, most Americans would do. I made a little list. What am I looking for in a church? I want a church that has a good Sunday school for my kids that has a good 
Bible study program, blah, blah, blah. Here's my list of things. Oh, forgot one thing. God, where do you want me to go? God, where do you want me to serve? I want to go to a church where people are nice and where it's comfortable, where they don't ask me to do too much. Is that legitimate? No. Or do you go to church for networking? Oh, you can meet some good people there. People to do business with. You can make contacts. Or uh, there's a lot of uh, singles in that church. Or entertainment. Do you go because you need your church fix for the week and you want to be entertained? I want to hear a funny sermon with... uh, You know, I don't want to be challenged. I just want to hear some nice stories about how I can be a better person. And I want to feel good after church. Wow. Do they help us? Does that help drive unity in a church? What is the mission of the church? It's pretty clear. Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, A-L-L, that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not to make converts, it's to make disciples. So we're not just into salvation, but the church is about sanctification. What are illegitimate missions for the church? To become bigger. That can be a mission for a church, right? We want to be a mega church. That is not a legitimate mission for a church. To have a bigger budget or to have a fancy building. Your mission could be to love people. Is loving people the mission of the church? It is, but it's to make disciples and to preach the good news. If you love people and forget about that, then what's going to happen? You're going to compromise truth. You're going to compromise your doctrines. You're going to try to accommodate people because you love people. If you love someone, love them enough to tell them the truth. That apart from Christ, they're going to hell and they are going to have a horrible destiny. If you love someone... Tell them the truth, even if it hurts them. Love for the word of God and truth. Psalm 119.11 Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Do what it says. You know, one of the challenges to unity, we hear too much and do too little. And I'm talking about myself too. It's not a lack of knowledge or access. It's a lack of desire. Oh Lord, we need to be doers of the word. Pursuit of of holiness. Hebrews 12.14 makes a sobering comment. Pursue peace with all men and 
the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You know, people who say, oh yeah, I'm saved, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, all my sins are forgiven, I can live the way that I want. Uh, uh, You better read 12.14, because if you're not pursuing sanctification, you will not see God. In the Beatitude, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for what? They will see God. How can you be pure at heart? Impossible. Apart from the Savior, you cannot have a pure heart. Love for the church family. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. John 13.35 By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What are some illegitimate examples from the scriptures? Third uh, John, Diotrephes, he loved to be first. He loved to kick people out of the church. Anyone who disagreed with him, he, he booted them out of the church. Um, he told them, don't listen to John. What does he know? He's just an apostle. It's shocking that people would follow people like that. You've you got to have... You gotta have discernment. In First Corinthians chapter one, the the church there were people in the church said, "Oh, I like listening to Paul. I like listening to Apollos because he's a he's a he's a more gifted speaker than Paul. Oh, I like listening to Peter because he's one of the original eleven. And some said, "Oh, we're we're only listening to Jesus. We don't listen to Paul, Apollos, or Peter." You know who are the worst? The ones who said they only listened to Jesus. Because if they listened to Jesus, they would have listened to the apostles. It is a big challenge. There is a tension between love and truth. Did you know you can kill someone with the truth? You really can. You can destroy someone with the truth. So important for us to love with the truth. Do you use truth like a scalpel, just cutting where you need to? Or do you use truth like a butcher knife, just swinging it wildly and just ripping people apart with the truth? You can do that, you know. See why Jesus prayed for unity? It's a perfect balance between love and truth. You've got to tell them the truth, but in a way that won't destroy them. And you know what that means? It takes love, it takes joy, it takes peace, it takes patience, it takes kindness, it takes gentleness, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. The second thing, do we long for heaven? Do we long for heaven or is it an unwelcome intrusion into our busy schedules and lives? 
John MacArthur challenges the church. Does it, talking about heaven, does heaven interrupt our career goals, pursuits, or vacation plans? Heaven can wait until we've exhausted all the pleasures of this life. When the church loses its focus on heaven, it becomes self-indulgent, self-centered, materialistic, and worldly, spiritually weak and lethargic. I heard John MacArthur say something pretty funny recently. He said, anyone who thinks this life is great is probably on the way to hell. Do we long for heaven? Luke 10.20 Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Child of God, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're going to heaven. Everything else, you can, you can get through everything else knowing that you're going to heaven. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. you ever feel like an alien in this world? Like, I don't belong here. The Apostle Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. I will confess, when I was younger, I used to think, oh Lord, I don't, I don't want you to come yet because I want to get married and I want to go on a honeymoon and I want to have a job and I want to experience these things. And then you could come. And now that I've lived a few years longer, I just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. When you're ready, I'm ready. Because there's nothing in this life that I, that I want to stay for, maybe with the exception of my family. But if it wasn't for my family and my church family, I'd say, I'm ready. Let's go. I want to go where you are. Is heaven your supreme joy? Heaven is awesome. You know why? Because our Savior is there. Not because the streets are paved with gold, not because of the beauty, but because our Savior, who loved us so much, is there and I want to be with Him. Are you like David in Psalm 23? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that the cry of your heart? Lord, I want to be in the house where you are forever. You know, GBF has been around for five years. It's it's hard to believe. I guess we're finally going to kindergarten. Five years old. You know what? We're old enough now to have had some traditions and to feel like, yeah, we do some things well in this church. It's interesting to note what Jesus did not pray for. Jesus didn't pray for incredible teaching talent. I thank God that we have good teaching from this pulpit, accurate teaching of God's word, but that's not what's essential. He didn't pray for the wow factor to draw incredible crowds. He didn't pray for unlimited budgets 
so that we could build buildings and create jobs and do all this stuff. He prayed for us to be unified. He prayed for us to be unified as the Father and Son are unified, to be unified in our motive, in our mission, in our love for God's word and truth, in holiness and love for one another. That's what he prayed for. I wanted to take a moment just to read the GBF membership covenant. You can find this online or you can find it on the back table, but I want to challenge all of us in this room, especially those who are members of Grace Bible Fellowship. Do you care about the unity of Grace Bible Fellowship? We as a local church, the body of Christ. The membership covenant. First point, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its purity and growth, by giving regularly, by praying for the church leaders. Two, I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering, developing, and using my gifts while serving in an ongoing ministry in my church, by being equipped to serve my pastors, elders, and other lay leaders, by reading the Bible and applying its truth regularly, by developing a servant's heart. Third commitment, I will support the testimony of my church by living a godly life, by attending faithfully, by witnessing to unbelievers, by being hospitable to church members, visitors, and guests. Four, I will safeguard the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members, by submitting to the church leaders, by speaking the truth in love, by refusing to gossip. These are not easy things to do, by the way. This is what Jesus prayed for, that we would be one. The second question I'd ask you, do you love Jesus more than anything else? Do you long to be with him? What is the passion of your life? There are interesting things to pursue in this life. It feels good when you do well and you get recognized at work or at home or at school. Maybe it's a relationship with someone that you're pursuing. Career aspirations, achievements, money. What is it? What is the prevailing passion of your heart? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. He didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He said, Where your treasure is, whatever you treasure, that's where your heart will be found. What do you treasure? What do I treasure? There is only one treasure worth treasuring. That's our Lord Jesus. Ray Stedman, who was a well-known local pastor, founder of Peninsula Bible Church. I had an opportunity to read his biography. 
he moved to Oregon, Pacific Northwest, and eventually died of cancer. But I'll never forget what I read in his biography as he was on his deathbed. And, you know, cancer was ravaging his body and he was getting weak and he knew that his time was running short. And what he said was, when I was younger, I'd often think, I want to... I want to meet the heroes of the Bible. I want to meet Abraham and talk to him. And I want to meet David and and talk to him what it was like. And maybe the Apostle Paul and all these great heroes of the Bible. But as he lay on his deathbed, the only thing he could think of is, I want to see Jesus. That's it. Is that the cry of our heart? Do we want to see Jesus? I tell you, when life gets to the point where it's such a struggle, it's meant to be a struggle because we are strangers and we're aliens. It is a screwed up world. And the sad thing is we're just as screwed up as everyone apart from Christ. In Christ, we are whole. Apart from Christ, we can't do anything. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, at the end of his life, he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not, not only to me, but to all, but also to those who have loved his appearing. I don't know what you may be struggling with at this particular time in your life. Like I said, if you're not struggling with something now, hang on because it's coming. In this life, you will have tribulation. But know this, that there is a reward. There is a purpose for all the suffering that we're going through. Hebrews 25 says that Jesus continues to make intercession for us who believe. Do you have an idea what Jesus is praying for in heaven right now for us? He's praying that we would be one. That we would be able to put our selfish desires aside, seek God's glory, and do what the world cannot do, is to be one. That we might be a witness to the world to say, apart from Christ, this cannot be done. And the second thing he's praying for is that we would make it to the finish line so that he can receive us with open arms. You know what the most astounding thing in Jesus' prayer is to me? 
The most astounding prayer is that when Jesus says, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see his glory. You see, I can understand why we should want to be in heaven. What I don't understand is why he wants us to be in heaven. It's so important to him, he prays about this every day. Every day he prays for us that we would put our selfishness aside and that we would be one with him and with one another. That we would bring glory and honor to our Savior. That the world would be convicted of their sin and they would turn and embrace the incredible gift of eternal life which is to know Jesus and to know the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word because your word is life. Your words speak of you. I thank you, Lord, that you pray for us, that you intercede for us even now. Every day you pray that we would be unified in you, that we would make it all the way to the finish line so that you can embrace us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, that is the cry of our heart. Lord, apart from you, we can't do anything. But in you, there is nothing we can't do because nothing is impossible for you. Lord, I pray that I pray that your your prayer would be fulfilled in Grace Bible Fellowship, that we would be one, united in you, united in our motives, united in our mission, united in truth, united in holiness, united in love. For that is what's going to bring glory and honor to your name. The precious Son of God, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Lord, we long for that day when we will be with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.